There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, your inside look into the best of Vice. It's Friday, January 11th. I'm Sophie Casas. Today, we're talking about how rural communities are grappling with how to provide vital emergency services. Every day, communities all over the U.S. and Canada rely on volunteers to handle the bulk of their critical services, like firefighting and emergency response teams. In America, there are 814,850 volunteer firefighters, and that constitutes 70% of total firefighters. In Canada, there are 126,650, making up a staggering 83% of all firefighters. But as more and more people move out of rural areas into cities, providing these critical services is getting even harder than it already is. This story first appeared in Vice Magazine's Burnout and Escapism issue. I sat down with Vice reporter Ben Maku to learn more. So what made you interested in this story? Honestly, I was talking with the editors and they really wanted a story on traumatic experiences for firefighters in North America. And I just so happened to have a cousin and actually two cousins that are volunteer firefighters in the community close to where I'm from. So it was just a natural fit to be like, well, I know I know what these these two people have been through and they've told me stories. And if you want that, I can get it. And they'll they'll tell me exactly what's happened. Yeah, like they'll tell it to you straight. They'll tell it to me straight, exactly. And did your editor's interest in that topic come from the California wildfires or was it sort of based out of some other interest? I think the California wildfires had a lot to do with it. But I also think we were kind of collectively looking at how jobs in North America are changing. And you have this sort of sudden question about mental health that's occurring. And I think that you know, and it's a great dialogue that's happening. It's not to say that mm-hmm. this hasn't been happening for years, but, you know, something like uh, the New York taxi driver who committed suicide over Uber was a question. We started thinking, what are the other jobs and professions that are not getting the same questions surrounding them of what kind of mental health pressures that they're facing? And, you know, I think firefighters was an obvious choice, but I think even more specifically, volunteer firefighters. Right. And not just what are the challenges that they're facing in terms of mental health, but also what kind of support do they have or do they lack? And you you looked at that in your story. So let's start with you telling us some of the major challenges that volunteer firefighters are facing when you talk to your cousins. What did they say? Well, the big thing is they're not getting paid very much. And people often think volunteer means you're not getting paid at all. They do get paid something, but quite often they have second jobs. So they're doing full-time jobs and they they are quote-unquote, on duty once that job ends, and they're expected to answer calls. So they have sort of the receivers on, and they're listening to what's coming out, and then they have to rush out to whatever it is that they have to face. In the case of my cousins and where I'm from, it could be anything from a bog fire 
to someone falling through the ice, ice fishing, to house fires, to suicide calls, to head-on collisions with fatalities. So there's a, there's a bunch of stuff. And the, the crazy thing is, too, is that in these small communities, the people that this is happening to is people that they know. They're rushing to incidents where people they know are quite possibly having the worst day of their lives. So that's one challenge. The other one is, you know, they're not getting the same support that you'd get if you were a full-time firefighter with benefits from, in, in this case, the province in Canada. You know, you're not getting the the time off, paid leave, et cetera, if something traumatic happens to you or, you know, if you undergo some sort of physical ailment as well. And it's not just that they're not receiving these kinds of benefits or time off or pay, but I mean, your cousin has a full-time job. So Mm -hmm. this is in addition to working full-time, you have this incredibly taxing work and the mental health, sometimes physical health effects of that work, but it's completely in addition to being exhausted from a, a normal job. So there's that too, I think. Oh, there's a, I mean, that's, that's a huge part of it. And that's not to say they don't get some support. My cousin's uh, department did give them some peer-to-peer support as well as, you know, lines they could call if they're, if they're feeling like they need to talk about it. And I think, that, you know, from what he said, they have a real camaraderie. But having said that, there, there's no... Uh, paid for counseling, things like that, because in addition, this is a volunteer firefighting unit. And and it's because the town is small. They can't afford to have a full-time massive staff of firefighters because the, the demands just aren't there. So it is up to people like him to do it because if he didn't do it, nobody else would or nobody else in the community would. And that's why you have this 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 crew of, of people that get together and they say, Can, we have to do this because this is how we protect our community, essentially. Right. And in your article, you focused on these small rural areas in part because you were looking at a trend that people are moving out of these rural areas and into cities. Can you talk about that trend and how it's kind of affecting these emergency services in general? Yes. What you're seeing is, I mean, this is happening in a lot of cities and areas across North America. There's been increased urbanization. So it's sort of a retreat from the rural areas into the the bigger cities. So what's happening there is that a lot of the emergency services and health services are going with them. And, you know, in the case of my cousin in his town, you know, the closest hospital is 45 minutes away. So first response is huge. And if they don't have a full-time fire service on top of the closest hospital being 45 minutes away, there's a real, there's a shortfall there that needs to be addressed. Now, the problem is, like I said, these towns also don't have a ton of money because there's not a lot of people. Right. And as people leave, so does money. So does tax money. Exactly. Right. Right. So what does the psychological toll look like for people in your cousin's community and just the people that you talk to for this story? I mean, what are people going through who are doing this kind of volunteer work? Well, some of the studies I looked at, recent studies said that firefighters, it doesn't take, you know, 9-11 in New York City responding to the towers coming down for you to have PTSD. In fact, quite often, these firefighters are getting PTSD from just regular events. And that's actually was the spark of this story for me was that I remember I got back from covering the war in Ukraine quite extensively and I was on the front line getting shelled and getting shot at and seeing some pretty brutal things like a society in decay. And I was a little bit, you know, I wasn't feeling so great. I was dealing with my own PTSD from it. And I went to a hockey game with my cousin and we just started talking about it. And he kind of mentioned to me this sort of sharing of experiences, this one time where he had to go and cut down somebody he knew who'd committed suicide over the holidays and just what toll that took on him. 
we got a call for a vital signs absent. We call that VSA. And uh, so it was an off air, which usually means suicide that I've been told for sure, especially I was new to the to the fire department. So we went to to the call, saw the house, and then I'm like, I recognize this house. I know this this person that lives in this house. Maybe they moved. Maybe, you know, your mind's just racing with a bunch. You're just trying to normalize everything like a crazy event. So I had to grab our medical bag, essentially. And then I, you know, walked in and we get to the, the garage and there and behold is, is the person that I thought lived there and that I've known pretty well that was a member of this community and very involved. So, yeah, it was definitely a tough time for, you know, you still deal with it every day. Um, uh, yeah. And then he started to tell me some other stuff, you know, collisions, seeing people murdered and dead in, in cars and, you know, stuff that's really brutal that we don't really, really think of. And, you know, I'm, I grew up right around there and I remember seeing all sorts of these types of accidents, people getting in brutal head-on collisions and going into rural ditches and 18-wheelers crashes, stuff that's like really brutal. And it never really occurred to me as, I guess, selfishly, who are the people that are going to clean up that mess? And it's these volunteer firefighters. They're seeing some pretty gnarly stuff. And then on top of it, they have to get up the next morning and go to their jobs. Right. And that seemed like a really sort of insane uh, concept to me. Uh, and, and, you know, so these people are, are dealing with almost conflict area incidents and then they go do their jobs. Right. And, and like you said, I mean, unlike in cities, there's almost no anonymity in a small town. I mean, the, the calls you're getting is you don't know if you're going to walk into that house and see someone that you don't know or someone that you're really close to. And most likely it's someone that you're either really close to or someone that you know. Exactly. Or... It's if you don't know them, the guy you're with, a woman you're with that's addressing the same call might know them. Right. Right. So it's like the the process of elimination of who you know, the connections are just that are way too close. Despite the fact that this job, as you've described it, comes with some pretty serious psychological effects and it's just it's really grueling. It's hard. It's on top of a full time job. It seems like the people you talk to, including your cousin, have a lot of pride in the work that they do. I think you asked your cousin, like, do you have any regrets or like, would you do this all again if you could? What did he say? He said, absolutely. Like you said, he he had a ton of pride in doing this job. I I love every minute of it. Even though sometimes you get home, you're tired from your day of work and you have to go to a training for two and a half hours. That's the last thing that you want to do. You just want to spend time with the family. But um, again, all these life skills that I'm gaining and learning uh, with the firefighters is definitely something that'll be with me forever. So, yeah, I, I, as, as much as it's tough, you know, I think it's it's really important. And I think more guys should should come out and become volunteer firefighters if they have extra time on their hands and, and women as well, of course. And I know several of the other firefighters who've who've been involved with, it, with him and I grew up with these guys and played hockey with them you know I knew them his brother is also a firefighter so I, I I know these people really closely and like and that's one of the differences you know I'm from an area similar and I live in New York City and I think people who live in New York City don't realize that 
in smaller towns, people have a real pride of their community. Not that we don't, but a real pride in the sense that they'll literally go out and clean up a car accident on their spare time because they believe in their community and they want to help their community. And they're involved with it in a way that I think people who are in urban areas aren't really familiar with. And, you know, when I look at that, I think to myself, I mean, that's that's real pride for your community and, and caring for others. You know, I, how many times do you see car accidents and you know, in Brooklyn and you kind of just see a little crazy and then keep walking. And this could have happened, you know, a few blocks from your house. For them, they run to the the burning car and they try to see who's who's inside and help them. And that's, you know, I mean, it, it's a reality, but, you know, they take an incredible amount of pride in it. And, and that's what these rural communities in large part are doing is they're finding ways to bridge that gap. And quite often they're doing it themselves. And it's a really impressive thing. When I read your story, it was kind of an unusual story for me. I mean, it it felt a little different than some of the stories I'd been reading on Vice, and I'm not totally sure why, but I'm curious, why do you think that this story is so important for people to better understand? Like someone like me, who lives in a city, who I actually do know a, a rural volunteer firefighter personally, but, you know, I, I only know one. <laughs> um, and these issues feel far away from me. You know, I don't live in a small rural community. I live in a very big city. So why why did you write this article? Well, you know, even for myself, I do national security. I do stuff on ISIS and, you know, hackers and spies and, you know, doing a story on volunteer firefighting. The real only common thread for me was PTSD. And this mm. is something, you know, I've seen in a conflict zone before and experienced myself. But honestly, I think the big important thing about this story is it really speaks to the reality, political reality of today. I think a lot of us who live in cities, we live off of Twitter, we live off of Instagram, we live off of where the next party is, what the bar is. And and listen, I'm totally down for it, but not to extrapolate too much in terms of looking at it from like a 2016 election standpoint. But, you know, I think we all have to start realizing the realities of people that live outside of cities and in places you would never go to, maybe pass by on your way to a trip somewhere. But these people are dealing with very different concerns than we all are. Concerns that are so intimate where they have to be the firefighters for their communities because no one else will. I mean, this is something that's so foreign to the rest of us. And that's why when you see stuff like the opioid crisis, for example, this is something that that predominantly affects areas way outside of you know, the typical northeastern major hubs like New York City or Boston. But outside of those communities, far off, where we don't look at, it's it's a scourge. And I think it does us all some good to understand what's going on outside of us. And it's happening in our own country. You know, and I think that that's a real important part of, of this story in particular, uh, of looking at communities like this, because quite often I don't think we do. And it's important to sort of take a second and and look at what's going on in places that are 15,000 people or 10,000 people. Yeah, and to recognize that actually just like in cities where mental health care is something that can be really inaccessible, um, I mean, we have a mental health crisis all over the country in Mm -hmm. cities and in rural places, but that in these rural places that you're talking about, there are people doing work that requires more support than they're getting. And Mm -hmm. I think that that was an important part of this story, too, is like in rural communities and in urban communities, we need to be providing better mental health care, not just for, you know, crisis workers, emergency workers, but 
for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's I think that this is this is this is part of this the selection for this story is that mental health, I think for the first time in a long time is or maybe ever is really getting a mainstream treatment where we're all talking about it a lot more than we used to. And there's still a lot of taboos that need to be addressed, but it's important to realize it's it's everywhere. You know, it's in urban communities. It's really tough guys that are 6'3 and burly, like my cousin who played hockey and, you know, used to chew tobacco and like get into hockey fights and, you know, go hunting. And, you know, these guys also have their own problems, their own issues, as as do women and children and everybody. You know, like we all have these issues and I think it's important that we address them and there's a space for it and that they're provided the support and the funding for it. Right. Well, thanks so much, Ben. Thanks for having me. You can read Ben's full story in Vice magazine or at vice.com. That's it for now. Thanks so much for listening and tune in again on Monday for another Vice Guide to Right Now.